Welcome to the Raw Autos Podcast, Episode 9, with our guest this week, Mr. J.F. Musial. We'll get to him in just a second. First, a few things to get out of the way. Hey, uh, so subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, and Podbean. Of course, go to rawautos.com for automotive content. Uh, find us on youtube.com uh, slash rawautos. Subscribe there, like everything, and hit the bell icon You know for notifications, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Uh, you could find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the good stuff. Just raw autos. Just throw it in there. See what you can find. You know, it, it's a crapshoot. You know, see where we are and see where we aren't. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just want to trash talk or tell me I'm an idiot or I'm wrong or that I'm the most fantastic human being ever made, um, you can obviously hear my cat in the background shaking, of course. Uh, you can uh, hit me up uh, via email. Of course, she walks right in. I have the door closed. She pushes the door open, walks right in, shakes, scratches herself for a second, and then walks the hell back out. Anyway, uh, email me at josh at rawautos.com uh, for any, you know, comments, concerns, all that stuff, you know. All right, so now that that's out of the way, now time for our sponsor. Just kidding. I'm just messing with you. We have no sponsors. We, we're not a big enough show yet, which is fine. Because you know what? I like it like this. Uh, we've got a lot of great people coming up on the show that are going to be doing stuff uh, with me. But more so, I love this. I love being able to talk uh, and and also talk to people that I really like. I love the fact that I, I'm... I know enough people that I could just send a text message or, you know, send a Facebook message or whatever, and they'll say yes. They'll say yes. They'll be like, yeah, 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 I like you. You know why? Because I'm cool. I'm cool. People like me. People dig me. What can I say? <laughs> yo. Anyway. Um, yeah. So our guest this week is somebody that I've known for a number of years, a fantastic person, a great director, producer, and content creator. His name is JF Musial. You can find him doing things like Proving Grounds on NBC Sports, uh, Drive on NBC Sports, and you can go back into the archives and find him on FLD, Fastlane Daily, from back in the day with Derek D. And if, you know, if you got a Netflix account, which pretty much these days, who doesn't? If you have a Netflix account, you can type in Apex, the story of the hypercar, and watch that amazing, amazing documentary hosted by, or sorry, not hosted, but narrated by none other than Chuck otherwise known as Zachary Levi. That's something JF and I talk about. And then his most recent documentary is Apex, The Secret Race Across America, about Alex Roy's record-breaking attempts to beat 3207 from New York to Los Angeles. It's amazing. It's fantastic. You can find it uh, for, you can buy it on Amazon Prime, you know, Apple, whatever. You Anywhere you can buy movies or rent movies, Bam, there you go. You got it right there. It's awesome. It's excellent. Why you haven't watched it, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're just kind of chilling out out there. I know it's tough. Uh, times are tough. Things are getting worse and weirder, and it's just all crazy. But at the end of the day, stay safe, stay sane, and keep listening to the Raw Otters podcast. Um, 
So just a little heads up. At some point, we will be moving right. We. I always say we. It's just me. It's just me. I'm the one who does it all here. Uh, at some point, I will be moving to uh, from three episodes a week to two episodes a week down to one episode a week. So I'm doing that just because, you know, it's getting harder and harder to sustain three episodes per week. I've been doing this three weeks now, three episodes per week, having to talk to a ton of people. So I would say after next week... Next week, we'll stay at uh, three episodes in the week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then the week after that, we'll go down to two. And then after about two weeks of that, we'll go down maybe three weeks of that. I don't know. We'll go down to about one episode uh, each week. But yeah, I hope you're enjoying everything so far. I am because, you know, I just get to talk to people that I like. Um, and I'm looking forward to you guys, for you guys to hear the, the people that I have coming up in future shows. Uh, but without further ado... I really, really want you to welcome my next guest. Make sure to clap your hands, make some noise inside your quiet houses, wake everybody up for Mr. J.F. Musial. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Uh, I'm good, actually. Um, you know, one of, one, of the, one of the craziest things about my life is that I spend so much time on the road. And, um, it's, it was always one of those things. And it's been for, it's been that way for the past eight, nine, 10 years where I've mm-hmm. just been on the road and being home for this long is just, it's, it's awkward, but it's a little bit of a welcome, um, surprise because I, I knew this year was going to be a very busy year from a, from a business point of view. So that's good. Um, but you know, with, with COVID and everything going on here in New York, it's, it's, um, it's just crazy. You know, even 9-11 wasn't like this in the sense of just how the city is just so shut down. And I remember 9-11 as a kid. So, um, you know, for me, it's it's um, I'm happy that everyone I work with and everyone I know is is um, is safe. Um, some people I know got COVID but have recovered. So um, that's good. But otherwise, yeah, you know, I shouldn't I shouldn't be complaining in these circumstances. So thank you for asking. Well, and that's so you've have you lived in New York all your life or? Yeah, well, in a, you know, when I say New York and I'm, New Jersey, I'm kind of a liar. And, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I live in Jersey City, so I'm, I'm um, two blocks from the water, uh, looking at the World Trade Center. I've lived in or around New York City pretty much my whole life, except for like a six month stint, nine month stint in LA for okay. on a on a production. But um, so I've lived in Midtown. I've lived. Uh, I've lived in the Village. I've lived in Hoboken. Weehawken, Jersey City, so all up and down the Hudson River and kind of midtown Manhattan. I was going to yeah. say, if you, if you're right across the, if you're you know across the Hudson or you know you're, you're looking over, you're you're basically in New York. You're basically looking at everything that every other New Yorker is looking at. Uh, say that, say that to say that to my friends in Brooklyn. I was I was going to say I was just about to say that the the problem is is convincing other New Yorkers of that because I've talked to other people yeah. and I go, well, I have friends in New Jersey, and they're like, <laughs> okay, let's not let's not go there. And yeah, you know, it's like uh, it's like talking you know pizza pies with anybody. It's you know, it's just it's <laughs> it's a constant. It's just a constant battle. Nobody wins. You know, so it's just. Yeah. It's like, you know, Ireland, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah. there's no end in sight. I like, I like it. I, I love living here. And I always say that when I travel, because I travel so much, especially in the summer months, like when I come home, it feels like a vacation. Yeah. I love being here. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful city with so much um, life to it in the sense of just culture and, 
um, things to do. So yeah, I, I, I love it here. I, I absolutely love it here. And I love the fact that I'm able to travel and see other parts of the world at the same time. So. It's a, it's a big deal because I, so I told my wife before, uh, before we did this, I said, you know, I'm about to talk to somebody that I don't think is actually home for more than four weeks out of a 12 months year, obviously, <laughs> you know, it's, and she was like, what the hell does he do? So, you know, of course I told her a little bit about you and, you know, and, and we, and we've watched, uh, the story of the hypercar together. Um, Thank you. you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and so she knows she was like, oh, 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 the, the supercar guy, the hypercar guy. I was like, yeah, that's, so that's, you know, and so I've told her a little bit about you over the years and, uh, um, but you are, I, I think you're one of the most interesting people I've ever known for a couple of reasons. <laughs> and allow me to please explain it's Probably good and bad, but okay. No, I, you know what, actually, so I don't really, it, it's hard for me to say bad things about people anyway. Um, because so a couple things, uh, I'll, I will remind you of that. I don't know that you even remember. I did a live cast, uh, with BMW years ago at the New York auto show with Jack Pitney, who was at the time mm-hmm. before he died, he was their head of marketing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I vaguely remember this. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> you came by, I, I was so excited. I told you to come by. Uh, you came by and watched as I was doing it with Jack Pitney. And I asked your opinion afterwards because I, I genuinely, for all of my career, if you can call it that, in automotive uh, journalism or media, whatever, I always thought your opinion was very, very highly regarded and respected as far as I was concerned. Okay. <laughs> thank you. I don't You're... know if everyone thinks that, but thank you. <laughs> well, I, so it's, it's kind of a common theme on my podcast that I compliment the shit out of everybody. So, <laughs> so, uh, I asked you what you thought of after I was done. I said, what'd, what'd you think? And you were like, eh, it was okay. You know, could have been better. You could be better on camera or, uh, with a microphone. And I was like, Oh, okay. Thanks. And, but, <laughs> but well, I, you're still doing it. So something must have worked. Well, I never, I'm probably wrong about it. I'm wrong about a lot of things. I don't feel bad. No, it actually, it made me take it more seriously. If anything, it actually made me think that it was the first time because of course, you know, I'd made YouTube videos. I'd, you know, done all that crap and the commenters are brutal. You know, it's yeah. ridiculous for no reason whatsoever. I had one guy said, uh, on an old video I did, he said, uh, I was just hoping he'd crash and die on camera so I wouldn't have to oh. watch this anymore. Then another guy said, if only his parent, or think about it, if only his mother had aborted him, we wouldn't have to watch this. Oh. So <laughs> that YouTube one. YouTube commenters are the worst. I just, yeah. I'm they're so awful. No, it's, but you know what? It's fine. It put me in a funk for about six months. But the problem I always have with commenters is that they're, they're not, there's no constructive criticism, right? There's no actual like, hey, that shirt sucks. Maybe you should try a different color, <laughs> you know, something like that. But when yeah. I asked you your opinion, you gave me const- a constructive reason on, on what you thought and what I needed to change or be better at. And so I took it seriously. So I took it more seriously. So you, you, that is something I, I, I've always appreciated. Plus, I would always text you or email you random questions about camera gear or whatever. Hey, what do you think of this camera? What do you think of this gear? You'd be like, oh, it's okay, you know, blah, 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 whatever. You've always been very nice to me, very polite to me in person uh, or when I've asked you a question, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've always appreciated that. And Well, you're welcome, yeah. No, I, you, you, look at, you look at the scene, uh, I, you know, when we got into it, there was no one really to kind of turn to for advice. No, and, no. Um, we had to learn by, you know, trial by fire. And I, I, I'm always a firm believer that um, you never know who's going to be 
your boss one day and you never right. know <laughs> right. you never know who you're gonna have to you're gonna gonna need or um, <laughs> run into in a different part of the world that needs some help so you know try to be nice to as many people as you possibly can but when it comes to quality work you know i think if if everyone kind of pushes each other the, the whole industry benefits right it becomes absolutely it becomes uh mutually beneficial but it's also you know there's an element of competition amongst mm-hmm. each other to, mm-hmm. because you you know you you raise the bar and that's kind of where we stand you know as a society, we need to be pushing each other in order to be better at whatever it is we do. Well, and that's it's interesting that you say that because so I had Johnny Lieberman on my podcast uh, last week, right? Awesome. And yeah. and I love Johnny. And I used to I remember when you started Drive. Um, in my opinion, I think Drive changed the automotive landscape probably forever. Um, yeah. I I think it was probably the most important thing to to come on the internet for cars outside of top gear okay that's that's how i think of it well, i mean i could be well, wrong you know from some people's standpoint and, and we were there trying to be like why are we so crap i don't know if i can curse why are we so crappy no, at this you can <laughs> say whatever the hell you want you say <laughs> why are we so shitty at this we could be doing better <laughs> that's really what we were all saying and and we just didn't want to embarrass ourselves so we were like okay we could do better we could do better we could do better because we always felt that there was someone behind us that was just going to take it over well so, I, and i remember that uh there was a, a polite ribbing online between uh the drive world and johnny liebman from the motor trend world right <laughs> yeah it was yeah. <laughs> obviously you remember some of these things uh <laughs> and you went to a paid model you had to go to a paid model for drive right and I remember, yeah. I remember people saying, oh, that's, that's it. Nobody will ever do that. This is the death of it. I actually wrote an article shortly after you guys went paid uh, to a paid model. I wrote an article on Raw Auto saying that it's actually great. It's a great thing you're going to a paid model because it's going to change the way that we actually do these things and take these things seriously and fund the people that are making these products that are so great to us, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I said, everybody at some point is going to have to do it. Well, lo and behold, of course, Motor Trend does it a few years later, right? Motor Trend mm-hmm. On Demand and yeah. everything. So you've been kind of at the forefront, whether it be purpose, you know, on purpose or accidental. How does it make you feel if you look back and kind of see those things as they've moved along to see maybe you were right or maybe you were accidentally right or you had it right? How do you feel about that now? Yeah, it- uh, mixed emotions, right? Because at the time it was very stressful, but I knew, I, I think I knew it was the right way to go, especially for, in the example you're given with, um, the paid model, mm-hmm. um, for drive to go to drive plus. Um, but I sometimes look back with very few regrets, but maybe, um, you know, I, I try to live life with very, very few regrets, if at all any regrets, but I feel like our timing was a little bit off. And I think that, um, we went into it um, ambitious, which we needed to be, mm-hmm. but um, maybe we could have communicated it better at the time, our reasoning for it. Um, you got to remember, at the time, I, you know, I, I was, what was it, 25, 26 years old, mm-hmm. and I had uh, people around me that were much older than me, even though I was kind of running the content side. There were people around me that liked to tell me that they knew better. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, yeah. Um, uh, you know, the messaging at that time, um, could have been a lot better. And I think that's what we could have changed. But in the grand scheme of things of what the model was, I, we all knew it was the way to go. We all knew it was. Yeah. In fact, when we, start, when we started, when we announced the pay model, um, 
there were certain individuals from Motor Trend that requested meetings with us. Um, I remember having a meeting with Chris and uh, one person from Motor Trend at the Geneva Motor Show um, to discuss the pay model. And I remember them saying, why would you do something like that? That's crazy. And then they're very much like probing around to get mm-hmm. information about what we were doing. But then at the same time, not necessarily um, thinking we made the right move. So it was kind of mixed messages from their side, obviously doing their own intel. I'm, I'm sure they were they were considering it themselves. Um, and they very much stood back and they went wanted to see how we approached it and what we did wrong and they learned from it. So we were a first mover, but I think, you know, sometimes it's not always a benefit to be the first mover because we prime the pump for audiences to right. just accept, expect this kind of stuff. So once the second or third tier people came in, not tiers, but second or third media outlets started doing this, um, uh, it became, um, it then became commonplace. Even though we were the first movers, we, we, we took a lot of the, we took a lot of the flack. And, and to put, put this in context, this was like 2014 we went to the paid model. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the same year New York Times was going to a subscription online model. It was all happening at the same time. You know, for the New York Times to be doing it, and they were getting a lot of flack as well. Um, right. You know, it was, it, was, it was rough for everyone in that time frame. Um, and if... I remember going into a few potential investor meetings and, uh, you know, we're trying to raise money and looking at our business model and people would say a 1% conversion rate. Are you nuts? Like as if that was too low. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And, and, and I'm like, no, that's where we think this is going to be a 1% conversion rate. And if we do it right, it will work. And sure enough, a year later, even though to the outside world, a lot of people hated us, we got to that 1%. And 1%, I'll put it like this, 1% of the people that were actually paying for our content, um, they made us a profitable company right. within five months, which Drive wasn't. Drive was was based off of a grant program from YouTube and Google, and it didn't have to be profitable. Um, Drive Plus got us to the point where, as a business, it was profitable with that 1% conversion rate. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, like to, I like to think that we kind of... Um, you know, we were forward thinking, but it wasn't just us. Everyone was looking at it. I think we were just the first ones to actually take the risk up front. And then we kind of got a lot of the the, the, the negative reaction from audiences for doing something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But it was bound to happen with everyone. It really was. Well, I actually sent you a text after after you went to the paid model for Drive Plus, and I said, uh, I said, hey, man, I'm sorry you're getting so much shit online. <laughs> and I was like, man, you're really getting hosed on this. And you were like, that's okay, because you know what? I've just, I've just made our entire budget. I think you said for the next like five or six months, you just made your entire budget in like the first couple weeks. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, wow, that, okay, so there's the mission right there, because... And now we look at YouTube as everybody's got Patreon, everybody's got an affiliate account with uh, with yeah. B&H and Amazon, and everybody has something that's bringing in you know the money. And yeah. you guys did that years before anybody else really took it that seriously, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then now well, everyone, everyone, everyone was taking this seriously. No one wanted to take the risk. Right, I mean, right, right. Good point. We were yeah. young enough. We were young enough. We were young enough to just say, kind of, fuck it, let's try it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, what, what, if we screw this up, what? what? We just go get jobs elsewhere, right? You know? Yeah, right. But if we yeah. get it right, if we get it right, 
we define it, right? We define the space. I think what ultimately happened was, you know, because of a lot of external factors, we got kind of, um, we got it right, but we had to get out of the relationship. We had to get, we had to get out of the business Mm -hmm. for, you know, various other reasons, but it, um, you know, I'm happy we took the chance. Uh, we were young enough to take the chance, you know, collectively. And it was just, you know, it wasn't like, you know, when I started my production company, it was, you know, 2008 financial downturn, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. can't get any worse than that. Right. Until, until today. But, you know, <laughs> um, right. uh, you know, we went, we went for it. I'm happy with that. And it's, so it's funny you talk about you went in 08 to start your own production company. And in mm-hmm. 2008, uh, the end of 2007, actually October, 2007, that's when I started raw auto. So in 2008, I started going to auto shows. I started figuring this thing out, started contacting car companies saying, Hey, I want to test products. Oh, where are you? I'm in North Carolina and people will laugh and then hang up on me. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, just, you know, some of those people actually ended up having to give me cars anyway, later on, but it's, it's that weird thing, right? You start something in a, in a situation where you think, well, nothing else I can do. So what the hell? And then it actually goes somewhere. It actually does something. And I look at your career now. Now you're, you know, you're on Netflix with with Apex's story, the hypercar. So your actual production company is called Tangent Vector. And yes. and then you have uh you have Apex, which is is it its own thing or is it a part of Tangent Vector or is it uh the brand the brand is owned by Tangent Vector. Okay. So yeah. And that's Apex or Apex One, which is it? Which is it? Uh, by definition, the company name is Apex One. Yes. Okay. So yeah. All <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and okay, so this is a question I've always had uh, since you did uh, the story of the hypercar. This is kind of a random question, um, and I've been meaning to text you for what four years now, almost. Uh, how in the hell did you get Zachary Levi, otherwise known as Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> to do the narration for that because i love the show chuck i'm i'm a nerdy little shit and i was like dude they got chuck to do the voiceover <laughs> that was actually um josh Vitza, who was co- who co-directed the movie with me um and josh and i um josh Vitza and i have known each other since we were 12 years old and we went to school together we grew up together and he um uh, you know, he was one of the original owners. He had a small minority stake in Tangent Vector when we started. And then he went off to go work in Los Angeles um, designing and uh, developing theme parks. And <laughs> That's he, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mostly in, in developing countries, Southeast Asia, so on and so forth. He did a lot of DreamWorks stuff. Hmm. Um, and he uh, got connected with Zach um, from one of those various projects. And... Um, and, you know, a lot of this comes down to just kind of relationships you have with people. And from there, we, uh, yeah, from there, he became uh, the voice of the movie. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And it's so random. Yeah. It's so random. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, to circle back, there was one thing I wanted to say in the beginning, that you and I are considered doppelgangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember that? I do, yeah, of course. So Matt yeah. Farah's birthday party, we were in LA, uh, and Matt was always very gracious and kind to me. Um, and I still remember that night uh, like it was yesterday, but I, I felt really bad for, for Mike Spinelli because Matt was there telling him that the the automotive magazines are done, it's over, they're cooked, they're fucked. And mm-hmm. the very next week, Mike Spinelli took over 
uh, zero to 60 magazine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Mike had told me, I think it was at that party. He, I was like, damn dude, uh, Matt is really harping on the magazines. Yeah. And he's like, and next week I'm going to announce that I'm taking over as editor chief of uh, zero to 60 magazine. I was like, son of a uh, bitch. That sucks. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, so I actually had every, every issue of zero to 60, even before he was you know, editor in chief. Cause I love that. I thought that magazine was great. Um, Scott did a great job with us. Yeah, yeah, he really did. Cool. He, he absolutely yeah. knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah. but that was the night that you and I, Matt's girlfriend at the time was going crazy. Cause we looked like each other, except you're like three feet taller than I am. <laughs> um, yep. cause I'm five, I'm five, nine and a half. I tell people I'm five, 10 happily. Um, how tall, how tall are you? Six two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have this picture of us, of you and I standing next to each other with our arms folded. I remember, um, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And then Tom Morningstar is drinking a beer. Yeah. Glasses. And yeah, he's, yeah. uh, giving the bird to the camera. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was, uh, that was very funny. Uh, nobody to this day, every time I show somebody that picture, I go, this is my doppelganger. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, to me, he's famous. That's really funny. Yeah. Oh, no, stop that. No, <laughs> I actually, I do have a funny story about Matt Farah. Uh, there is a guy, it's a friend of my buddy, Tom, that I had met years ago. Um, and we were down in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, my, my wife and I, when she was my girlfriend, we were down there visiting for Halloween and he had all these people over. And this one guy that had a V12 Vantage S at the time, uh, he came and he's like, Hey, I hear you review cars. I was like, yeah. And he goes, uh, you know who Matt Farah is, right? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I know Matt personally. And he's he- like, no, shut up. So I text Matt and I said, Hey, I'm famous at this Halloween party because I know you. And he texted me back. I'm glad you can be famous by association. And so ever since that, I'm in that guy's phone as uh, a guy that knows Matt Farah. So that's, that's how I am in his phone. Um, so, but you've been... Yeah, that's eventually going to bite you in the ass. I hope you realize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was just hoping I could just stay on the sidelines, say that I know Matt, and it's, it's going to bite me. Damn it. Son of a bitch. I'm um, getting a subpoena one day or something. I don't know. <laughs> It's funny because uh, I, I always feel like every time I text with uh, with Alex Roy, I feel like the same thing. Like, not that I'm going to get a subpoena, but that he, I just, you don't hear anything from him for like a year. Well, you do, I'm sure. But I'll text yeah. him. I'll not hear anything from him. And then, um, like, randomly, a year later, I might talk to him just at absolute random. I remember, who was I yeah. talking to? I was talking. That's, that's the Alex Roy way, just so you know. That's how he's <laughs> always been, and that's how he will always be. He's, he, he's truly one of my best friends, and he has always been like that with me. Like, um, <laughs> but that just that, that just comes with the territory, right? This right. Is, this is someone that you walk down the street with, and you can you don't know who you're going to run into <laughs> or or meet or interact with because he's just so easy to strike up a conversation with, right? right. And and right. he has like, and I'm not just saying this from like a relationship, like like a, a guy to girl kind of way right mm-hmm. not like a romantic thing like anyone that's interesting anyone he thinks is is um unique whether it be an artist playing an instrument in washington square park or uh you know a random person um you know walking down the street in in something fashionable alex always has a way to strike up a conversation <laughs> and it's just and those conversations will go three four five minutes and before you know it he has their phone number, and then uh, for some reason, three weeks 
down the line, like they're at an event with you and you don't know how like, you're like, Oh my God. This is like, <laughs> he is everywhere. Yeah. He just, he can connect. He connects people so well. He's such a good connector. He's one of the most endearing people I'll ever meet without any doubt. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. my dog died and he found out about it and called me to tell me oh. how sorry he was. And this was back in, I think 2010, 2011. Yeah. About 2010. And uh, he called me, talked to me for like 20 minutes, just how sorry he was. If you need to call or talk about anything, you know, please don't hesitate. And I was like, that is one of the sweetest things that yeah. anybody could ever do. And I, I, I barely know Alex, you know? Yeah, he's, he's, he's like that. He's really, he's a wonderful human. He really is. And, and despite what, you know, the book or the movie or anything you've seen in the, the public eye, like, like that's, a, that's a character, right? In mm-hmm. a little bit of a way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like he is that outgoing and he is, he's incredibly generous. And, um, you know, yeah, it's why I've, I've been his friend for so many years is because it, you know, despite all the other public things that you see us involved in, um, behind the scenes, it's even, it's far greater, um, in terms of his ability to interact with people and his ability to just tell stories and yeah. just be a great human. Yeah. And he, so he told me years ago a story that he found you, uh, you were working for New York DOT. Is that what New, it, New, Jer- New yeah, Jersey, something like that. New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah some, some agency within New Jersey. Yes. And so <laughs> I found it very interesting. So he told me, he told me that's how he met you. And then you got recruited somehow for, um, uh, for the, uh, for the record breaking run, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things where I actually ran in, ran into him at the New York Auto Show, and he, um, he and I just struck up a conversation like he would, right? Right. And he remembered my name, and he had my contact information, and before I knew it, he um, was asking me to come up to Tuckahoe, New York, to AI Design, and he's like, I just need to show you something. I walk into AI Design, and um, he's like, and I remember, I remember he was like wearing these like weird looking orange sweatpants. I'm like, you look so weird right now. Like, this is such a, I didn't really know at the time. I'm like, dude, you look you're just like a weird looking dude. And I looked at the car, his E39 and I had seen his car before, but I hadn't seen it like this. It was just kind of like, oh, whoa, there's a lot more stuff in there. This, and this is not like a stickered gumball car. Like there's, this is like fully being prepped for something else with the fuel cells, so on and so forth. And he's like, I need you to sign an NDA. I'm like, okay. And at this point in my life, I've never signed an NDA before. So I'm like going through it. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, it's just a standard NDA. I'm like, still going through it and everything. I sign it. He's like, okay, I'm going cross country. And we had no, I had known that, um, like he had known that I knew about Cannibal. I knew a lot about the, the cross country records. And he was very much um, adamant that, um, uh, that, I should be involved because of my knowledge, I guess, from our earlier conversations. Um, he recognized that I, I, I knew a lot about the event and how to get across country as efficiently and as effective and safely as possible. And he, uh, he asked me to, quote unquote, join the team to help the, uh, help the mission, as one would say. And um, yeah, and that was that. And how did you know so much about it? How was it, you know, I mean, of course, I feel like anybody who loves cars knew, you know, about the Cannonball Run. We knew, you know, Brock Yates, of course, and we knew those stories and, you know, the movie, you know, you know, the. Yeah. But you knew a, an odd amount compared to anybody else, right? 
I'm a very weird uh, human. <laughs> um, I'm the type of person that gets over a fear of flying by studying plane crashes. Um, and that's a true story. I, I didn't fly for a good majority of my life. And then I knew I needed to uh, get over my fear. And I did so by learning about plane accidents and looking at NTSB reports, so on and so forth. So I'm a very weird individual that way. I'm a little <laughs> bit on the spectrum. So when it came to Cannibal, it was just something I knew about as a kid growing up. And I did a lot of research on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I studied a lot, uh, and myself, like I, I myself loved going for long drives. So when I would go for long drives, I would treat it in the same manner as one would in a cannonball situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, reducing your speed as you go over a crest, you know, uh, looking at all your instruments, scanning the horizon, looking behind you, looking at all, at all the information you have, not driving with the music loud, right? Like just absorbing information so i i i had this weird ability myself just from my experience at at a young age and i did track days um you know at the age of 17 18 years old so i like i knew about special awareness so it was just one of those things like uh, uh, you know i met alex at the right place at the right time and our our you know we had a lot of similar um hobbies and passions (laughs) so that's i mean that's incredibly interesting because as someone who now, the older I get, the more I, the more I love it, you know, the more I love the stories and whatnot. And you've been understanding it from day one, you know, you were, um, I, I don't know that you, well, I guess you were in kind of the epicenter of when, you know, or not when, but, uh, of where it all kind of started, right. Uh, where it all yeah. kind of was going on, but, and then now you've made, you know, apex, the secret race, which is a, an absolutely fantastic film. Fantastic. Film. Thank you. Thank um, you. It really, Ten years to make it. It better be good. <laughs> I, yeah. And, well, and Alex told me a little bit about, you know, years and years ago about, you know, what was going on when you guys were making it. So I know that it was tough. I know that it was an interesting situation uh, for you guys to make because it was a lot to really go through and do. Yeah. Um, and you got Ice-T for that, uh, for, to narrate that. How did, how did that come about? Because you sort of uh, had a relationship with him through the – through the the um was it through the rallies or what was it yeah through? it was through the rallies okay yeah so yeah the, the movie in general like i started working on the edit back in 2009 um when Corey wells the former director mm-hmm. um you know it was her film to begin with um, right and we uh we worked together on that that cut and then you know there's a falling out that was my period of time i lived in los angeles um it was good it was um you know, for the time and my experience level, I was, I was happy with it, but then, um, legalities and certain situations going on across the board, backed away from it. It kind of sat there while Alex and Corey had some disputes about what direction to go with it. Um, and then come, um, our first film, first film came out and then Alex asked us to kind of take it back up, take the, take his movie back over. And that's what became Apex the secret race across America. And the, um, back to your iced tea question. Um, how did he narrate it? I had met Ice in Ohio <laughs> uh, on the side of the Ohio Turnpike. Like he was part of uh, Bull Run at the time. Yeah, and you guys helped he, him change a tire. Yeah, right. On yeah. the side of the Ohio Turnpike. Yes, he was stuck. He was stuck. He um, couldn't find a tire that fit his. I think it was a Vantage. And I, uh, for some weird reason, realized that uh, the the space saver 
Oh, this is so weird that I knew this. The space saver and Alexis. Uh, <laughs> um, How random! Same spacing, same spacing and fitment as Advantage, and we put a Lexus donut on Advantage. <laughs> and we drove it. We drove it like that all the way to like Chicago, and then got a, a, a new tire there. Yeah. How random! How the hell did you even know that? No, this is a question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it came to be. I don't. It's I don't know. That's yeah. a, that's. Yeah. As I said, I'm a little on the spectrum on some things. Yeah. No, that's a, that, dude. That's okay. I mean, look, when I was yeah. when I was 13, I had to go for uh, learning disability testing because uh, I had this teacher that was convinced I had a learning disability. Um, and what really came out of it was I was one of those, you know, intelligent enough people that got bored with learning if I wasn't doing it yeah. on my own, sort of thing. Um, yeah. And so it was frustrating because I didn't like math. I loved science, but I didn't feel like I was challenged enough, blah, blah you know, all that stuff. But I remember yeah. the one of the questions asked, they asked me was, uh, what is your biggest fear in life? Now, again, I'm 13 years old, and the answer I gave, and I have this all, it's all in transcript and everything, and I mm-hmm. said uh, that Saddam Hussein will get biological weapons and attack the United States. <laughs> Whoa. That, that was, yes. As a 13-year-old. As a 13-year-old. It was 1999. <laughs> Uh, wow. yeah, I, that was, that was my immediate answer. I don't know why to this day. I have no idea why I was so scared of that. Um, so yeah, so that was, I, I was very weird. So, cause so I, I kind of, I empathize. I understand, you know, there are things that I know that I don't know why or how I know them, um, or things I believe that make no sense why I believe them. You know, why would you believe that? Mm-hmm. But you, you're one of my favorite people because you're so behind the scenes of everything. You know, okay, so you've got your show Proving Grounds, you got Drive on uh, NBC Sports. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then you've done two documentaries between Apex, uh, The Story of the Hypercar, and uh, The Secret Race across, across America, right? That's the full name of it. That's correct. Yeah. Apex, The Secret Race across America. Yeah. yeah. And, but you are, and then also you've done Off the Grid, which was a Formula One um, show. Yep. Yeah, three years of Formula One, and then a uh, year of NASCAR, and uh, a year of IndyCar. Yeah, and and of course with Tangent Factor, you've done automotive projects for what McLaren, Porsche, Mercedes, Lamborghini. Yeah, all sorts yeah. of uh, Aprilia, Lexus. Uh, yeah, I, Kia. I can't. I can't even. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is very. I think Honda is one that we haven't really done. Um, done Acura, but. Yeah, I've worked with pretty much um, all the manufacturers at some point over the past decade. But you've been, I would say, the most embedded with Porsche, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The longest relationship. They were my first client um, as a company. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and so now you, I mean, I feel like you have probably a better relationship with Porsche than even any journalist at this point. Because, <laughs> you know, you've, you know, you've become friendly with Patrick Long and filmed him, you know, driving cars um, yeah. Have you done something with Hurley Haywood as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. Okay. I've done, I've done, a, done a lot with Hurley. I've actually been. Yeah. I did a. I did a doc with Hurley. Um, oh. Uh, I did not, not the one you think. Oh. You okay. I was like. I was like. Wait a second. About. I didn't think that you were a part of that. Holy hell. Okay. No, there's there's another one that's um it's a it's a short doc for Porsche that's coming out soon. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I yeah I filmed that actually I was at his house in um, Florida uh, early January doing that. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, I've met him once, and that's one of the few times I was truly 100% starstruck to just meet yeah. anybody. You know, yeah. um, he's a wonderful person as well. He's a great person. He's so he seems so quiet and shy and reserved. You know, he's kind of relaxed. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I met him at a Porsche uh, Porsche Art Museum event in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I was palling around with Magnus Walker at the time because um, I had met Magnus at the Pinehurst Concord d'Elegance, the first ever Pinehurst Concord d'Elegance. I think after the second or third one, they canceled it all. But okay. I met him there. Uh, I got acquainted with him, and then I did you know this interview with him that uh, people really enjoyed. And, and um, he actually, we talked about Alex in the video. Um, and I asked him if he could, you know, if he would drive cross country, you know, we talked about Alex Roy and him doing it, you know, what would he do it in that sort of thing? Well, I told Alex, I sent him the video and then actually Corey Wells hit me up and sent me an, huh. an original copy of the old, uh, 3207 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So she yeah. sent me an old original copy of that. And, uh, yeah, so I have that sitting around. Um, but you've done with with Porsche you've done all this stuff and you know Christian von Koenigsegg you yeah. like what how did yeah. you know and you know I feel like you with Koenigsegg I don't think anybody's ever gone as deep into Koenigsegg as you were able to get how did that it's come just, about it's just relationships you know you reach out you build a relationship I think I think all too often people um, you know it's it's more than it's more than the product you produce mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. with with christian like i text with christian i i you know we've been talking about covid and um the situation in sweden and the situation here and you know even just talking ideas about ventilators and all that kind of stuff like these are just like i, I try not to treat certain people like as if they're just interview subjects mm -hmm. but they're people that you interact with in your life and life's too short to just go person to person, uh, you know, of course, you know, I'd meet a lot of people, but, um, you know, like when, when, when you meet someone that's interesting and you really sit with them and, you know, break bread with them and, mm -hmm. and, you, mm -hmm. and, and just know their life. And I was just invested in trying to tell a story. I was like, I got to tell the story. I have to tell the story. This is one of those things where it's like, it's, it's too good not to tell. And I'd be doing a disservice to him and everyone else if I didn't tell his story. And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't didn't want it to be a situation where I just kind of used him for the story and then walked away. Like mm -hmm. he's still a friend. Like his family's a friend. Um, I'm I'm friendly with his his entire family, his kids. You know, it's like one of those things. Like you just you, you, you know, the, the world's too small and life's too short to just go passing by without building relationships. That's that's what it's all about. So yeah, I guess maybe that's now I'm starting to realize. I guess why that's I I look at you so highly or have a, such a uh, high regard, so much respect for you because that's a lot of how I feel about the relationships in my life. I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to look at anybody as like they can do something for me or Jess can do something for me or uh, you know I can get something out of them sort of thing. It's about relationships. It's about building a yeah. you know friendship, a family, you know camaraderie of sorts. Um, yeah. and, uh, and you want it to be long term, right? Right. I think, I, I think, I think if you jump into a relationship up front and you try to build the relationship without a foundation, it's not going to go anywhere. I'm just saying in all terms of life, in terms of all different situations, whether it be interviews with formula one drivers or, or someone you're dating or maybe, right. You, you want to build, you want to build a good foundation and then grow that foundation. Yeah. And, um, you know, the best stories come from trust and you build trust from building foundation. And, 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 you know, when something goes wrong or someone says something that they didn't mean or whatever, maybe you don't throw them under the bus, right? You, right. You, you, you're humans, you interact with humans and you show dignity, dignity and respect. Um, you know, obviously there are some not so good people in the world and you just 
kind of fade away from those people. And, and maybe they're not good to you, but maybe they're good to someone else. So, yeah. What's probably the most, what's one of the, one of the most favorite moments of your life uh, of getting somebody in front of a camera and getting them to say or do, or what's, what's something that, that kind of sticks out in your mind that's happened? In terms of interviews, it'd be a, a, a non-Mahindra. Um, I had a very unique opportunity to do an interview with him at Pebble Beach for Pin and Farina. He, he invested in Pin and Farina, and two years ago, um, you know, this is, a, I think, the third wealthiest man in India. Mm-hmm. And I got to do a one-on-one interview with him, and it was just, it's just, you know someone that's that successful in their life, like they, they um, time is a huge quantity right. uh, sorry a commodity commodity right? yeah. yeah yeah um but they don't have a lot of it right mm-hmm. so the time that they have with you is uh limited um but when i sat down with him it, it was you fully understood why he was so successful in his life is because everything he did he was fully committed to mm-hmm. including the interview that i had with him i felt like the interview was important i felt like he cared about the interview and mm-hmm. it was by far the most fascinating and impressive interviews i've ever had in my entire life that's interesting I, yeah i couldn't believe i couldn't believe just how um engulfed i became in just having this conversation with him because as an interviewer i'm thinking about not only what i'm trying to get across for an edit in mm-hmm. terms of the questions i need to ask and then having them trust me enough to give me the answers I, 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 uh, I need to help tell a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And it's not, 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 not saying it in the sense of, I need them to say this, right. It's, I need them to say whatever they're going to say, but with a lot of detail. And then I can cut it up to be, um, compelling or whatever it may be. I just, I need the raw materials. And if the interview doesn't go well, I'm not going to get the good raw materials. I'm going to get the, I'm going to get the crap raw materials and that's not going to, that's not going to go well. So, I love interviewing people, but he in particular was just so on point. And I could just tell that the question I was asking, he took a moment, he thought about the question, and then he went and he found the thread and he got across exactly what needed to be said to convey a point. And it was, it was, it was almost as if he wordsmithed, he wordsmithed a uh, 400-word um, essay that mm-hmm. he spent four or five days working on, and he just nailed it right on the spot. That was one of the most impressive interviews I've ever done, um, and I would love to one day release the raw, the, just a raw edit of that or a raw footage of that because it was just so impressive. I love people um, like that that you can that that you can trust, in a sense, you know, as an interviewer that you can trust just to have um, a really great response. You, it almost makes you not have to work as hard to interview people. Cause I'm yeah. sure, you know, like you and I both dealt with this where you, you kind of, it's kind of like pulling teeth to talk to somebody, you know, Yeah. it's like, they're just, you know, it's like simple sentences and you're like, okay, all right. Then of course you have to edit it later and you're like, Oh God, you know yeah. what? what? Uh, yeah. There was another one that was really, I don't know if you want. Oh yeah. No, you give you another example. Absolutely. Please. It was, um, it stood out to me at the time and it stood, it stands out to me even today. Uh, seven six years later the jules jules bianchi um interview oh yeah he, uh you know he i think we were the last people to do like a full sit down interview with him before he died um, later that year in japan mm-hmm. um we did a it was budapest 
and he walked in and I was, I wasn't interviewing Buxton, Buxton interviewed him. And I was, a, I was a, a shooter, a camera operator for that. But he walked in the door and he just went around the room and just shook hands with everyone. And we actually have it on, we have it on camera with him kind of shaking everyone's hands. And the interview was just so authentic and raw. And it was just such a, you know, he was just, he opened up about his life. And it was just really, it was a really compelling interview. And I, I wasn't doing the interview, but I was, you know, shooting it and seeing it un, unravel in front of me, which is really impressive. Buxton did a great, a great job at doing it. Yeah. His, his death was, I mean, absolutely horrible. I feel like that was, it was a, something that absolutely shook not just the racing world, but the automotive world. Yeah. You know, yeah, that was, right. a, that was, that was really tough. Um, yeah. but it's great. You, you were able to see, you know, a, um, a real passion on camera, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and more than anything else, I think, you know, my time kind of doing off the grid in formula one, mm -hmm. I miss it, but, uh, I don't necessarily miss it for the travel as much as I miss watching Buxton and Swales, Jason Swales, who was, um, our producer and he was a host on the show, but he was also Will Buxton's producer. He was just so good. He was so good. And, um, the two of them together and what they were able to do and their ability to tell stories in that paddock. Mm -hmm. That was a, that was a worthwhile time. I learned a lot from them. Buxton is great. I, I, I've always enjoyed watching Buxton or just, you know, yeah. listening to his commentary in general. Um, yeah. and, uh, follow him on Twitter. He's an interesting guy on Twitter as well. Um, yeah. So you, of course, have had you know a storied career with I feel like everybody at this point, and you know, <laughs> no, still more to do. <laughs> they, <laughs> there you go. Uh, have you ever? Did you ever cross paths with uh, Sterling Moss? No, uh, I, I never. I never had the privilege of meeting him. Sadly, um, he passed away today. Yeah, yeah. He uh, a lot of people. A lot of people I knew uh, knew him. Uh, one of my good friends, who's a she's a an artist. Uh, Al Felstead. She um, she knew him very well and did a lot of paintings with him. And um, yeah, she's she's heart, heartbroken by it, but um, had nothing but great things to say about about um, everything that Moss did in his life and every interaction she ever had with him. It was just she said it was just a very positive a positive uh, a positive character to be around. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a shame. I mean, you know, granted he was 90, but yeah. he's one of those, one of those people that you just, luckily the legacy will never die. Luckily the personality will never die. The things he gave us, you know, I still, my favorite number is 722. Every time I look at the mm -hmm. clock, I feel like 722 is my lucky number of sorts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so of course, you know, he's, he's important. And I, I always kind of, I always kind of laugh. Do you remember that that uh, um, um, that open cockpit McLaren SLR that they made? Yeah, uh, I just yeah. saw a photo of it today because someone posted it because of uh, his passing. But yeah, I, that thing was nuts. That, that was thing a really was cool project. Crazy, yeah. and the yeah. fact that Kanye West had one uh, <laughs> has always made me laugh because I always think yeah. Sterling Moss to Kanye West. Like, who would have ever <laughs> thought that would have ever happened? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. It, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they actually, I don't know, maybe I could be very wrong, but I, I thought I remember seeing a picture of the two of them together, either in the car or near the car years ago. I don't, I've never seen that, but that would be, that'd be an interesting thing to see. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. I haven't seen it. I have to, I have to dig that up. See if I can find it. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess we just have to get to it now. Chris Harris, you know, you've done, um, 
you've done a lot with him over the years between drive and drive on NBC sports. Um, you know, now he's on top gear these days and he's still doing drive on NBC sports. Yep. Um, and what's it like to, to, to work with somebody or deal with somebody that, um, is kind of, you know, revered by people. <laughs> I mean, you see him for, you direct him, you know, you, yeah. you're on a microphone yelling at him to do things at times. And he's but, good. He's, see, he's the best. He's just the best. Um, he uh, he's in his position because he worked his ass off for it. Mm-hmm. He dedicated his life towards it. Um, he didn't want to be on Top Gear. I'm not. I'm not saying it in the sense of like that was his goal. Um, I remember even the year that he was asked to go on Top Gear, and having conversations with him, he wasn't actually. You know, that wasn't something that was on his mind, right? He just kind of wanted to do his own thing and he wanted to be very good at his own thing. Right. And um, in terms of ability to tell a story on camera, to drive for camera, to think of story as a writer, because he is first and foremost a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's just, a, he's just impressive in every way. Um, he wants to be the best. Uh, at what he does. And he found his own little niche at doing it. And he is the best at what he does. Um, and I, I want, I want to see anyone claim that they're better than he is. They're not. <laughs> they're not. Nobody could ever be. Yeah. I mean, let's be he honest. Is just, he's just so, he's so damn good at this. Right. Yeah. And he cares about the end product. Is he a pain to work with? Yes. <laughs> Can he be an asshole at times? Yes. Is he, is he, um, and is he a great human as Alex? Yes. Yeah, he really is. He's a good person. Um, but when I say he's an asshole, it's not he's an asshole to be an asshole. He's an asshole because he cares about the end product. Right. Um, and he, he lives up to a certain standard. And um, if you're not living up to that standard, he doesn't, he doesn't want to deal with you. Um, he expects the best out of everyone on set. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, it's, it's no bullshit. Um, when it comes to... It doesn't matter what gear you have, as long as you know how to use the gear better than anyone else. Right. You know, it's like one of those things like he does the driving, he does the talking, but you as a camera operator, you better be as good as he is at his job. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be on top of it or he lets you know that you're fucking up. And I respect that so much. There's a Vin Winky video of you talking about the shoot in Dubai with the, or not Dubai. Um, was it Abu Dhabi, yeah. Abu Dhabi, thank yeah. you. With yeah. Uh, yeah. with the McLaren P1, you had 30 minutes, and you had found yeah. that he had after in the edit, you had found that he had he had strung together seven perfect drifts of a P1 from seven different corners as you and Neil Carey were running around. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. you called him. You said that in the video, you say that he's like a director of sorts. He thinks like a director of what's good on yes. camera. Yes, he does. Yeah, and he he knows where you're standing. He can see he he spots side of tracks. He's where he can see where you're pointing the camera. He can see where you're shooting, and um, he knows what he knows what he has to do to get a shot. Um, and he will get on the radio and, and tell you, even from two corners away, uh, you got to move. You got to move three feet the other way, three <laughs> feet to your right. All right, and he's he's it's fucking good. No one else does that. No one I've ever ever dealt with or I've seen, and I haven't worked with everyone, but I've worked with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. 
no one else is like that. And, um, you know, there was just, there was this behind the scenes video I saw. I've never, I've never interacted with Clarkson. Mm -hmm. I've met, I've met Hammond, but I've never interacted with Clarkson, but there is a scene in one of his DVDs. It's like a BTS scene, uh, at a scary. I remember this. And this is when I was young. I, when I was younger than I am now, it's like 10 years, 15 years ago. I remember seeing a scene that they put in the back of the DVD where he would go drive a car at Ascari, go back into the garage, sit on a little laptop, and start writing the script. He would then go back into the in-car, do his lines, and then go back into the garage, continue writing the script. He was wordsmithing after doing a few laps. He'd do a few laps, come back and wordsmith. Then do a few more laps, come back and wordsmith. <laughs> and I, I, it stuck with me. It stuck with me so well that, like, yeah, we all know Clarkson for who he is and his personality. But you saw in that DVD how detailed he was in terms of getting the story right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they've ever shown that any other place. Um, and I've never actually worked with him. But that, that level of detail uh, behind the scenes to get what goes on on camera to be so good is, is you know, it, that's what's impressive. And I witnessed it firsthand with Chris, whether it be wordsmithing on his phone or on a laptop, like I've seen it at Thunder Hill, I've seen it on all different tracks where he'll go on his little laptop and he touches with two fingers and he, <laughs> he, you know, he he pounds out a script and story and or or on the fly he's thinking about it and he's just so fucking good. I, I he really anyone I've worked with, he is the best. I I've I've said for years that Chris Harris to me is if you put Jeremy Clarkson and Tiffany Dell together in one human being. Hmm. And that's that's who you get. You get yeah, you get Tiff's would, driving would, abilities, and you get Clarkson's yeah, like personality. Yeah, but I've watched a lot of Tiff myself, and it's my job to watch all the videos. And mm -hmm. he, you know, he's handy beyond the wheel, of course, but he's he's also good in front of the camera. He's very he's always been very good in front of a camera, and that's I why think Chris. Yeah, I think Chris takes more from from Tiff than in terms of style. Anyway. That definitely doesn't surprise me because I, I their podcast together that they've had, um, I guess it was a few months ago. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, I haven't, no. And it's marvelous because I, 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 love, I love Tiff. Um, I, I have a, I sent him an email uh, through his website asking if I have this picture of him and I put it on Twitter and he, he commented on it. And it's a picture that somebody found for me, a friend of, uh, a father of a friend of mine found this at a, at somebody's house at like a flea market or whatever, a garage sale. And it's a picture of him, um, at the 24 hours of Le Mans, 1985 with, uh, an Aston Martin, uh, uh, GT, or, uh, sorry. Uh, um, I guess at that time it was still an LMP racer or whatever. Um, yeah. but anyway, so it's him and his co-driver and his team and everything. And I sent him a picture of it, and I so I emailed him through his website, and I said, hey, is there any way that I could mail this to you, and I could get an autograph? And he said, yeah, absolutely. He sent me an address, and I still need to just mail it off to him and you know, finally get the autograph. But he said, he just emailed me back, said, yes, here's the address you can send it to, and I'll autograph it and send it back to you. Um, but I think, to me, I mean, Tiff, I love, of course, you love Top Gear. You love Clarkson, you love Hammond, you love May, you love all that stuff. But for me, Tiff was always far more important and nobody knew who he was outside of me and a couple other people. But I I've always thought like when Chris, when Chris Harris came along, I was like, Oh, thank, thank God. This is a guy that's just like Tiff, you know, mm -hmm. that yeah. knows what he's doing 
knows knows exactly the that 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 nth degree that a car can handle and not handle, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and puts it there. And you just have to be a good cameraman and and be there when he's doing it. <laughs> but yeah. you got thirty minutes on the track at Abu Dhabi. Is that because Hammond was there with the nine eighteen that they basically just took over most of most of the uh, the time frame? Uh, no, not it wasn't just that. It was mo- multi- many things, multiple elements. Um, so Yas Marina can be split up into two circuits. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one side with McLaren. Top Gear had the other side with nine eighteen. Just so happened that those two cars would be there at the same time, but they were not actually being used at the same time. <laughs> Rather, they weren't being used by like the, like Top Gear wasn't using the P1. Right, um, right. Uh, McLaren had just happened to rent the same the track at the same time that Top Gear UK did. Um, so the situation was that McLaren Automotive had only remember this was at the early days of McLaren Automotive, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. After the 12C came out, I could tell they didn't have the same amount of money that they they certainly have now. Um, but they rented the track, I think, for three hours, and there were, uh, yeah, I think it was like three hours in the middle of the night that we had the track. And there were six, five or six journalists that they, that had to be cycled through um, for that session. So, um, yeah, and you just divvy it up from there, and then there you go. That's what that's the end result. That's how you get thirty minutes. <laughs> and that, uh, let's be real, that's some of the best content anybody could ever see. What you, you, you know, t- you know what it was is because it was simple. Mm-hmm. We didn't overthink it. We knew we only had so much time, so we kept it simple. So if you look at the shots, there are a lot of lockdowns, mm-hmm. and uh, and like the few times you saw pans, it was like there were quick pans, and I was like doubling up shots. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, there, I actually posted something on Instagram recently where I, I was going through some of the footage for something else. Um, actually, for a future Proving Grounds episode, I was looking through some of that footage for something, and um, I, I saw some of my footage where I would. I was like, shit. I knew, I knew in my head, I needed to get multiple shots out of every, out of some of the passes. Mm-hmm. So I was doing um, double shots with one pass, meaning I would pick off one corner and then immediately, I would immediately pan to get the tails away shot. So heads on is when the car is coming towards you, tails away is when the car is going away from you. In the middle ground, if you track all the way through, then it's just one shot. Mm-hmm. But if you if you sacrifice the middle part of the corner, you can actually get two shots if you're quick enough. So I would get the he- uh, I would get a, a, in one particular shot, um, one particular location. I got the lockdown of the heads on, where the car would come towards me and then exit frame, and then less than half a second after it leaves frame, so you have your cut point, so the car completely clears frame. I would then pan middle of the corner. I would pan as fast as I could to the to the tail of the corner, the exit of the corner, the end of the corner, um, to get the tails away shot. And I would have to. So I got the lockdown shot at the entry. Uh, sacrifice the middle of the corner and then pan and get the get the, uh, the 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 car just as it's going into the exit of the corner for two shots. So one pass with two, one pass I would get two shots out of it, and that was like just the, the situation of the night. It was like smash and grab, get everything you possibly can. If you're out of breath, do a lockdown shot and walk away from the camera so that you can catch your breath. Because as soon as the car <laughs> leaves the frame, you're picking up the camera and you're running to the next corner. If you if you have the breath, then try to do a pan. Try, try to try to track the car. Try to pick off two shots. So yeah, that whole night was just trying to just get as much as you could, and the end result was just clean, simple shots. It was amazing. Let the story. You let the story be told via what the shots are and what the car is doing that night. Yeah. 
Absolutely amazing. I mean, it's just stunning, stunning filmography, you know, filming, stunning, uh, filmmaking, stunning, uh, uh, just beautiful, beautiful, simple story. Like you said, simple. And And the the best part about it, I just want to point out is like, I am an absolute terrible, shitty videographer. I'm (laughs) fucking worst compared to everyone on my team. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from anyone that does this (laughs) much better than I do. Um, but what I am, I feel like I am good at is, is being able to, uh, get a lot of assets with a little bit of time and Mm -hmm. at the same time, um, you know, understand how to compose shots that tell a story, even if they're not complex shots, but there are (laughs) far better people in this industry to to shoot them than I do. And that's why I spend a lot of my time behind the camera, like way behind the camera, not touching (laughs) compared to others yeah yeah i was gonna say every time i see something that you post on uh you know instagram with your stories it's usually your phone pointed at a monitor um and uh and i i totally get it because i look i have to be my own filmmaker because nobody around me i don't know anybody that knows how to to pull focus or do anything so i have always had to figure out how to focus and then be you know uh behind the camera then in front of the camera at the same time and it's quite ridiculous and sorry, my dog is eating a treat in my office right now. So I apologize. For that. <laughs> she just pawed at the door. And so I opened the door and now she's eating a treat in the room with me. And she's, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Luna. That's fantastic. I'm sure everybody will enjoy listening to that. Um, but, oh my God. Hang on one second. Let me get this out of here. <laughs> All right. Now she's, now she's walking away very angrily. Um, <laughs> she's like, what? I wanted to, to eat that. Um, anyway, so how did you, one of the, I think one of the questions that I, I've always wanted to ask you about this, and I don't know why I never have, how did you figure out how to focus properly for the car coming at you when you, it wasn't there before? I mean, you have to be on top of it in those simple moments. Uh, yeah, well, and if, you know, it's, 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 it's not as hard as you would think. Like, um, you know, you know where the car is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you know, especially at a racetrack, you know the racing line, so you know where the right. car is going to be if if all goes well. Um, you just focus on the ground for where the car is going to be, and then you just you you, you practice tracking shots. <laughs> See, I, I've never been in that situation, so I, I feel like I yeah. would just fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, you just you just get used to it. Um, a lot of time at racetracks helps you with that, and you just have to know. I think my I think my knowledge for racing, uh-huh. um, you know, and actually be behind the wheel. I know how cars move, and I can see how a car can move. And looking at the front tires and where the front tires are pointing, and just seeing the slip angle, you can actually see what a car is doing before uh-huh. it actually. You, you can tell what, what it's going to do um, based off slip angle and about approach speed and all that. So you just kind of, you know, you you kind of can learn what a, you can kind of expect what the car is going to do and be ready for it. And it all happens within a blink of an eye, right? But right. You, you just get used to it, just experience. So you used to do some on-camera stuff uh, for Drive, and then, of course, FLD Tours. Um, yeah. And uh, why didn't you ever do more? Because I, th- I thought you were actually good in front of the camera. I thought you were entertaining. Um, Thank you. Did you just hate it, or was it annoying for you? Or well, that's not, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not what I'm good at. I'd rather do things I'm good at, and also I actually kind of like um, – I was getting – you know, in terms of like drive days, I got like recognized in weird random places like Japan and Thailand and um, all these different things. <laughs> and I just, I didn't care about being 
famous or being recognized or anything. I like the idea of just being behind the camera and just putting the whole thing together. Well, where was uh, you have well, you have more control over it? Where was the weirdest place you ever got recognized? Like, what was the weirdest moment where you go into the bathroom or like washing your hands or ordering some mm. soup or? Uh, a Hampton Inn. Oh, there's a few. A Hampton Inn in Alabama, randomly. That hotel. already sounds creepy. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all of us got recognized in Tokyo at like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we're like getting ramen and drinks and uh who was it? he was from new zealand i think he was from new zealand and he just randomly saw us on the street he was totally drunk and he was like <laughs> oh my god and he started screaming like yeah so random random places um yeah so i think that was it i'm trying to think of anything anywhere else that was a little bit crazy i've had situations where people start talking about like things i've made and like like people that don't know me I think the the more the strangest things are like when people start talking about things they've seen on the internet or movies they've seen, and they start talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. They're like, no, no, I don't think you, you know, it, it, it you totally like it. You totally love to watch this. It was a, it's on some YouTube channel or something, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I made it. They're like, you made that? I'm like, yes, I made that. And they're like, no way. And I'm like, yes, I made that. And like, I've had a lot of situations of like people saying, like talking about my work, and then I'm like, yes, I made that. I know exactly what you're talking. <laughs> and so that brings up the interesting early days where you were um what did you do for for uh uh fld the fast lane uh, writer and producer okay and then director and then and like everything <laughs> okay. point, uh, i was gonna say yeah I, f- I felt as though at some point you were kind of doing everything um yeah. and uh any any future with derek d any any other you know projects at some point or I don't know. Uh, I keep in nothing planned, but I keep in contact with him. You know, every every few months we'll text. Um, I miss FLD. Yeah. yeah, I do too. For those that uh, don't know that are listening to this uh, later on, obviously because it's not live, uh, FLD stands for Fast Lane Daily. Uh, it's a daily content show uh, where a guy named Derek DeAngelis was on camera, was the host, and uh, he would just go through car news, right? Did you like that? Did you like that because of the daily habit of a, a car news show, um, or was it more of the personality? I think it was more of the personality. Personally, no. um, I honestly, as someone who I have to make all my own content, I'm the guy who photographs, you know, does the videography, does the editing, does the does the writing, does all the driving. I have to book all of my cars. I have to get all the the monetization, everything out of the way. So, as somebody who sees something daily. It just gives me anxiety for how badly I feel for everybody that's doing Jeez. something on a daily, you know, daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I honestly, the daily thing is cool, but honestly, if it were, if it were weekly or two or three times a month, I'd be happy with that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was the personalities, you know. Yeah. Um, of course, Alan behind the camera, you know, and and you know, kind of making jokes and stuff like that. Um, yep. one of my favorite things was actually, so years ago I was on a, I used to co-host a BMW podcast called Roundel Table and you mm-hmm. called in during the 24 hours of Daytona to give us some racing information, what was going on. Um, and then I loved your guys's coverage, drive coverage of 24 hours of Le Mans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. thank you. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I know other people were probably like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> it was hard. It was I, really hard. <laughs> I can imagine, especially it was it was being yeah. filmed, and uh, yeah. and then of course, you, hours. yeah, 
And then you had uh, you had Leo Parente on there. Um, yeah. Where is Leo? I haven't I haven't heard or talked to Leo He's in still years. In the industry. I, ran, I randomly saw him. I randomly saw him. I think like four months ago at the Hertz at the Hertz counter at LAX. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, very random. The Hertz, the Hertz bus going back to the thermal. We randomly like you would just randomly see people. If you still very much involved in the industry, but more on the business side, doing sponsorships and um, working with race teams on on business deals uh, like that. Yeah. I always loved him. I miss him. Um, yeah. He's the he's the guy. Just you know, give you context here. He's the guy. You know how you see all the um, Porsches at Hertz? Yeah. He he did that deal. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He worked on that deal. No shit. That's, that's, why that's, that's why, so that's why weird. The Hertz, the Hertz, um, the Hertz sponsorship um, that you see in IMSA, especially on the RSR on the core factory team, uh, GTLM. That's all connected to what you see with Porsches and Hertz lots too, and that was his deal. He put that together. No, way. that's amazing. Yeah, that's a hell of a deal. Man's yeah, well, man's yeah. way better at his job than I ever realized. Holy shit! Also, also shows you just how small this world is. Yeah, no shit, right? Oh my god! Wait till I tell my dad that. My dad, up until three years ago, owned a corporate travel agency, um, yeah. and uh, so he started in '94. And, you know, his biggest, some of his biggest uh, clients, you know, and he worked with Hertz, you know, and, and, um, national and every, you know, all those, uh, all those car companies or all those, uh, rental companies. Um, so it's, it's really funny because I'll, I'll tell him that because he'll find that kind of interesting that, uh, it's thanks (laughs) to an automotive guy, a former racer turned businessman that got that deal done. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. He'll probably have no idea that that even happened. And I'll be like, see, I know something <laughs> you don't know, old man. Yeah. Uh, he'll probably listen to this podcast later and text me and be like, you're such an idiot. <laughs> um, so I have, I have some kind of some random questions for you now. You have sure. an E46 M3. I do, yes. Uh, what year? It's 03, 02? Oh, 2003. Okay, 03. Um, yep. Did you ever... Uh, did you ever get pissed off at Matt Farah for driving it against a, his Fiesta ST um, in that one no. video he did years ago? I uh, no, no, that was that was so, he asked for permission for that. Oh, that son totally of a bitch! What a liar! Yeah. That's it. I'm never watching no, his no, videos no. again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, he didn't. He what he didn't do. So that video was was okay, um, but I think it was like the few days before I had left my car. I had left my car there. Um. I left my car there because I was, uh, I drove cross country. I left my car there. I left, I left it there for like a year and a half. But then a week before he did that video, he took my car out and was going up and down the snake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a whole whole drive. And, uh, people were taking photos of the car. And then he like gave someone like a ride and someone did like a social media post of them in my car. And I was like, Oh my God, that's my car. Why are you taking? <laughs> why the fuck are you in my car? And I got mad at him about that. Yeah, but we're cool. Yeah. That that reminds me of a situation where, uh, so I used to have this agreement with BMW that um, they used to give me any specialty BMW I wanted, provided that I would go down to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and pick it up. Um, got it. Uh, but as a as a thank you for doing that, they used to close down a part of the track for me to play with the car on. Right. Oh, cool. So, cool. like, I had a uh, uh, a Lime Rock Park Edition E92 M3. 
awesome. they closed down the autocross course and just gave that to me. I had that for like eight hours doing photos and nice. videos and all sorts of stuff. Um, cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. I drove it back to North Carolina where I live. My one of my best friends, he drove or he came down with me. They gave us uh, an X5 uh, V8 as a uh, as a camera car. Um, cool. And then anyway, so I drove down at the time. I had a 997.1 911 Carrera S. And so we drove down in that. I took the M3. He took the 911. We drove back to uh, where we lived in North Carolina. And I was spending the day with a friend in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my buddy had gone back to Raleigh. Well, I open up Facebook and Instagram. And I see my car on everybody's friggin' posts. (laughs) And it's like, I'm like, he's having a friggin' party with my Porsche. You know, like he's out downtown doing all this stuff. And he calls me in the middle of this and he's like, hey, I can't quite get your Bluetooth uh, audio to work. And I'm like, take my car home and sit it. What are you doing? I, I, I didn't give you my Porsche just to gallivant around. What the hell? Um, so, yeah, so that reminds me of that. But uh, I've never forgiven him <laughs> for it. But anyway, so you, you've had the, the M3. Why an E46 M3? I mean, I know why, but uh, other people that don't understand well, the allure of the car. Well, of course, uh, I'll, I'll get from the what everyone knows about the car, but uh, to my own personal like reasons to it is that you know when I was growing up, it was like I told myself one day I want to own this car, mm-hmm. one day I want to have this car, and um, when things got good with my you know, I, when things got good in business, that was my first purchase. To be quite honest with you. And I promised myself I would I would buy that car and keep it for the rest of my life, and that's my plan. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, um, but it's a it's good just, plan, you know. Yeah, and uh, there's multiple things here, right? It's uh, I've driven a lot of cars in my life at this point. Um, <laughs> it's not the best of cars. <laughs> 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 it's it's a it's a little hyped, but I love it. Right, it's clean. It's simple. It mm-hmm. looks great. It mm-hmm. looks great. It still does. Um, but, yeah, it really does. But compared to like modern cars, it's nothing, right? But it's just a great looking car. It really is. I, you know, I, so when I did that Lime Rock Park uh, M3 review, uh, BMW had I told them that I wanted to get every generation of M3. So I found some some people locally that would loan me their M3. So I got an E30, E36, and an e, E46 uh, that people actually gave to me, loaned to me for like a few days, right? Um, and every time I drove the E46, I was just like, I don't think I actually want to get back in the, into any of the others outside of the E30. The E30 felt more like my Porsche than any of the others. But the E46 just felt... I don't know. It's, it's to this day. It's still. I've driven E46 M3s over over the years, different ones, and I just. I don't know. There's something about it that just feels special, compared yeah. to other cars. Um, well, and and it just it's a, it's a simple simple car. Yes. But still I modern enough true. with modern enough technology to save your life in an accident. You know. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. It's you're absolutely right about that. It's it's an it's an odd thing because it's like people love Miatas and I love Miatas. They're great. Chris Harris hates Miatas. Um, I think he's wrong for it, but I understand. Uh, everybody has their opinion, but it's, it's, it's weird because I, I think about the E46 M3 as, as a Miata, but it's actually 
like livable. You can live with that car every day without problems. And you do in New Jersey, in New York. Yeah. I didn't drive it as much as I should, but yeah. How many uh, miles are on it now? 109,000. Oh my God. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly yeah. not bad. I would have expected, uh, I would have expected more. But then oh, again, well, I, you're never home. So yeah, I'm never home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, driv- I've driven across country three times. Have you ever tried to to think about um, setting a record yourself? No, no. <laughs> what do you think about so everybody far. doing it? Everybody seems to be trying to break every new record. You know, every few years now, every two to three years. What do you think of records? It now? Are ma- records are made to be broken. I think um, what's going on right now with the runs with during the COVID situation, I don't think it's smart. I think it's a little reckless. Um, you know, everyone says there are no rules. That's that's utter fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brock Yates had rules. Rick Doherty had rules. Mm-hmm. There were rules. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex had rules. There were rules to Cannibal and yeah. U.S. Express. Yeah. So anyone that says there were no rules getting cross country, they're, they're fucking full of shit and they don't know the history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Doherty even made a point that you had to donate blood before you weren't allowed to participate in the U.S. Express unless you donated blood. I did. It's it's a crazy thought. If you're gonna spill road on the if you're gonna spill road on the highway, you might as well give blood before you do that. That was his theory. It's, right? It's, it's it's understandable. It's just crazy yeah. to think that. And 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 it weeded people out. It weeded yeah, out the it bullshit. Did. Yeah, right? right. It made you it made you realize how fucking serious that shit is. Mm-hmm. So um, sorry for cursing so much. No, you're I, fine. I do. I get I get upset. I get upset by this because I think that it's a little reckless at this point and people aren't taking, you know, people aren't thinking about the history of it. They're, it's all about the, anyway, I'll stop there. Um, now is not the time to be doing it. Personally, there rules. Brock, Brock Gates had rules. Rick Doherty had rules. There were rules. Personally, I'm just, I'm kind of bored with it now. Cause it's like <laughs> now with technology. Yeah. You know what? I sure as shit hope that you can take any car across the country and make it usable. You know, pros and cons, more traffic on the road, more traffic, true, except for right now. But yeah, so, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I kind of want to get into some, just some simple technical stuff because I, I love cameras. Um, I started out filming because I had a DSLR similar, you know, that kind of thing. What, what do you like to use camera wise? Uh, in terms of still or video? Uh, a little bit of both. Either, you know, we talk about both. Actually, if you want the best combination of both worlds, um, the Sony uh, S1H right now, or rather Linux, oh, Sony, yeah, the, whatever the you want to call it. The Panasonic S1H. Panasonic, sorry, Panasonic S1H, yeah. 6K. Um, yeah, 6K. Yeah. Sorry, it wasn't Sony. Panasonic. Well, no, it has a Lumix, Sony sensor, yeah. so you're, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the right ballpark. So, yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah, uh, S1H, full frame. It's awesome. Do you have one? Uh, two of them. You <laughs> son of a bitch! All four thousand yeah. dollars of that fucking body. God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two it, of them. Yeah. Are you using that for productions right now? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. We started using them in December. Yeah. Oh, for yeah, for I, proving grounds or? Um. Yeah, for three of the episodes. Three of the episodes had. Uh, it was used as a C cam. Oh my god! Because yeah. I, I, anytime I've ever seen you, you were always shooting on Sony uh, FS sevens. Yeah, we still have FS sevens. Yeah, right. we 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 still have 
F5s, we have F55s. Um, I'm looking at a Russian. I just bought a new. F- I bought a used F55 that was Russian. Wow! <laughs> it's a Russian F55. I converted to an English F55. I actually love those bodies. Um, what's the What's F- the difference between a Russian and and a and a North American? Nothing, just, just the just cheaper. the okay. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, good point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, FS7s. Yeah, we use as our as our workhorses, um, and then. Um, honestly, you know, we've gotten away with 20% of our NBC episodes being iPhone shot. (laughs) You know, iPhone has gotten so damn good, especially with, you know, and now you can use Filmic Pro. Um, It's just, you can, you can, you can use them anywhere and people are more comfortable with having a cell phone up than a big camera. So in situations where we don't want to draw attention to ourselves or we don't want people to act differently we just if you have good audio just use use an iphone and god i mean now with the the you know with the the little road um wireless go you can hide that yeah. on somebody and you plug that right into the phone it's it's ridiculous how how good simple technology is you know yep so what Absolutely. did what did you get started on uh first like first still camera was like a, a rebel, a Canon rebel of some kind Okay. years ago. And then first video camera was the Panasonic HVX, HVX 200. Wow. No, okay. Uh, oh. 200 HVX 200 and the HPX 170. Okay. Yeah. All right. Can't believe I remember that. Uh, there's so <laughs> many cameras I have. Now, I can't believe I actually remember. I actually remember that. Yeah. Did you ever use the GH5, GH4, stuff like that? Yeah. I have a GH5 here with me now. I have a D800, a D810. Uh, oh my God, we have too much camera equipment. <laughs> oh my, oh my God, oh my God. And what we do, that you actually may find this um, interesting because we're weird. Um, uh, so I trust the opinion of my shooters for mm-hmm. what kind of camera gear we should use. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to actually deciding what to purchase, we look at a grand scheme of things. And what we've started doing before COVID and hopefully after COVID is that we have numerous duplicate kits. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a Pelican case with, let's take for example, our F, we have two F5s mm-hmm. um, and two FS7s and two S1Hs. Every kit, every Pelican is identical. Same lenses, same gear, same audio equipment. <laughs> And um, the way we treat it is like what you what you'd see with like uh, you know Southwest Airlines. Why do you only buy seven thirty sevens, right? Mm-hmm. It's because the parts are interchangeable. If something breaks, you can replace it with something else. You never you don't have as much downtime. Mm-hmm. So we actually have identical kits on the East Coast as we do West Coast, and um, it doesn't matter. It reduces travel costs because you're, you're pre-positioning gear. And if we ever have a situation where um, you know we have to fly someone in. Um, we can find someone in, get the gear, and they know how to use the gear. Everyone's everyone on the team is capable of using the same gear. So that's yeah. smart. It's really smart. Yeah. Um, so now I want to I want to tell you the camera gear that I have, and I want you to sure. rate it on a on a scale of one to five. Okay. Hit me. Go. Yeah. All right. So one to five. Five being the best. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so five stars essentially. One being the worst, where you can say you know <laughs> piss off. <laughs> okay okay so i had waited for many years uh i don't think you've ever seen this video and that's okay if you haven't it's it went semi-viral um uh but i made a video saying that i was leaving canon for good uh about what four years ago now almost um uh-huh. because i was waiting i had a canon 6d and i was waiting for canon to go 
4K with prosumer gear. I didn't want to get a cinema camera. I wanted to stay in a DSLR world or mirrorless if possible, right? Mm-hmm. And they brought out I the 5D Mark IV. I just was like, eh, just seems too hampered. You know, only 1080p out with the uh, through the HDMI port. Just didn't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, well, the 6D Mark II. Like they've got to do better with the 6D Mark II, right? Come on, 1080p only. And I was like, fuck it. And I sold all of my Canon stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. made this video while I was leaving Canon. Everybody hated me for it. It literally has the same amount of likes and dislikes. It's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's like 110,000 views right now, right? And okay, it did, okay. it did 100,000 within the first like six months, okay? Okay. So I sold that. I, got, I had a Panasonic G7. I've since sold that. I have a Panasonic G85, all right? So that's not my only camera, So you can, but you can go one okay. through five on it. So I'll let you... Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'd say four. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a GH5. Mm-hmm. Uh, solid four. Okay. I have a Blackmagic, the Pocket 4K. Two. Ooh, why two? Why two? <laughs> Ergonomically, I just don't. It's it's just not for me, I guess you can say. It's a pain in the ass. So Ergonomically, whole, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole different ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know. I think more than anything else, like I said, as I just told you, like I like interchangeable parts. <laughs> the main reason why I have those three is because I had Fujifilm cameras. I had an X-T2 and an X-H1 that I shared with my wife uh, for mm-hmm. because we have a small production company. But I mm-hmm. just gave her all the Fuji stuff because I was tired of going between two systems, you know, between Micro Four Thirds mm-hmm. and APS-C. And so the fact that I can use Panasonic lenses and then I adapt, you know, Canon gear, Canon lenses to all the, you know, cameras, whatever. Um, And so those are the three cameras that I have now. I'm thinking about going Zcam E2S6 for the uh, uh, Super 35 6K. I don't know. I I, I can't I can't answer that because I haven't used it. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So outside of the S1H, because I want to go S1H, but four grand, I'm thinking, yeah. oh man, you know, and then I'd have to get new lenses for that. The S6, S- I, I have some S1, Canon. S1, S1H is the red killer. You think so? Yeah. I fucking hate reds. I never I understood why people were so obsessed with them. You know, Marquez Brownlee is obsessed with red. Everybody has a red. And I'm going, why you know, do I, I want to, to? I went to college. I went to college with him and I still, uh, everything he says, I disagree but yeah, I. <laughs> wait, you went to college um, with Marquez Brownlee? Yeah, I went to Stevens. Yeah. I thought yeah. you. Wait, whoa, whoa. How old are you? What year were you born? I well, oh, I wasn't in the same. I wasn't in the same year as him. I'm not oh. older than he is, but he went. He went to the same school as me. Yeah. That's what I was like. What the hell? I thought you and I were close to the yeah. same age. I was born in '86. Uh, I was like, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so my point is with the S1H, it's built. It's built to kill. It's built to kill. Um, the prosumer market, right? Yeah. It dominates it. It yeah. dominates it. And if I was asked this question, red or S1H, even though red has a lot more color science to it, mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's, it's not good for the stuff we, te- we tend to do. I've had on the 10 years I've shot with, uh, you know, cars, we've used reds, you know, a couple dozen times versus the hundreds of shoots I've used with all my other stuff. Mm-hmm. And twice, twice I've lost footage because of red systems. Really? Because they, they brick up and then you can't get the foot. It's just, it's a, it's, they're slow. They're cumbersome. They're too computer. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not, they're not fast. 
Um, so yeah. Interesting. Because every yeah. time, I mean, look, red is cool. Everybody likes it, blah, blah, blah. But I, I never understood red for a couple of reasons. One, I felt like any system that doesn't want any other products to be used on it, yeah. you know, when it comes to, you know, memory, whatever, that kind of freaks me out. That weirds me out. Um, yeah. Go, they're, they're mags, they're mags, they're, 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 uh, they're solid stage like uh, media cards. Mm-hmm. They're just fucking SD cards inside. Yeah, that's all that's it all is. They are. It's like Chinese they're, SD cards turned into a, an SSD essentially. I hate that. I hate that. I don't get that. I don't understand it. It's the packaging game. Finally, somebody. Finally, somebody I talked to that is actually like, you don't want to use a red. And most of the people that always say right. when I say like I don't want to buy a red or use a red, those are usually. And I've never used one, so you know I'm I'm talking out of my ass really. But most of the people Look, that most, yeah, most of the people that actually use them, or people that are like extreme film makers, mm-hmm. will, will totally disagree with what I'm saying and hate it. But I don't care. Like whatever. It just it makes know, like it makes no things, sense like, to me. Well, just use use what you're comfortable with, and and it doesn't matter what gear you actually have at a certain point, as long as you know you got to use it right. Well, and that's um, that's what I feel like the GH5 has taught me to be a better filmmaker. Just because of the usability of the camera, the fact no, it's that just so, it's yeah, very it's few limits. You, walk down, you can walk down the street with it and shoot. Just keep shooting, right? right and then right. you know, have moments like like no one's going to think twice about having that small little camera. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how small. It's just like I'd rather have small cameras that I can put into bring it to any situation and not have to worry about carrying around 30 pounds of gear just to get it to work. Right. So, so you, you're okay with turning the SH one into, you know, more of a cinema style camera then. Um, yeah. Cause I feel like, I feel like people are, uh, not moving away from that, but talking about that they should move away from it. You know? Well, we did. (laughs) (laughs) You went the opposite way. Um, that's kind of the reason why I like the Z cams. Um, because I feel like they're, um, miniature red you know that big block you know of sorts except smaller block but i feel like it's it's not it's compatible with anything and you know super 35 6k sensor uh at um you know three thousand dollars i think that's pretty cheap you know yeah yeah um but four grand for the s1h i mean it is a it's a hell of a camera and great preamps you know, it's a solid camera. You, you, you know more about it than I do at this point. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm just obsessed. That's the problem is I obsess over everything. You know, I obsess over if I'm looking at buying something I have read, watched, you know, I have done everything I can to understand everything about what I'm thinking about buying. I, I obsess over it. So, um, and then last questions, uh, I have for you. What are you, what are you, what are your editing machines? What are you, what are you using and playing with that you love? You've always been a MacBook Mac guy. Pros. Yeah. Yeah, MacBook Pros. Everything is MacBook Pros. So you st- what year is your MacBook Pro? Um, let me look at that now. I buy one every like two or three years. Okay. This one's uh This is from seventeen, so two years on this one. Okay. That's what mine is. Yeah. Mine's a seventeen, fifteen. Yeah. Um seventeen fifteen uh, yes. Actually no. Sorry. This is an eighteen. Fifteen inch eight two thousand eighteen, two point eight gigahertz uh i9 yeah just had to one up me after i said i had a 15 i had a 2017 as well you're like no 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 wait yeah. i'm sorry no 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 you gotta i got a 2018 no, honestly man. everything we do <laughs> if uh you know like just make proxies <laughs> just doesn't matter how how you shoot it just make proxies edit with the proxies and then 
do it with everything else after that, right? Um, I, I prefer the speed, and more than anything else, we invest in solid state hard drives. A lot of solid state hard drives. That makes our, our our process is much faster. Yeah, you posted a picture years ago of all your all your old G drives, and I was like, oh my yeah. god, that's a lot of G drives. There's a lot of stuff on them. I'm using COVID right now to organize all that. <laughs> I've I'm been. Cur- I'm, cur- I'm currently looking at like 220 terabytes of footage. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I've been slowly paring down. I think I had like 15 or 16 hard drives sitting on my desk that I was constantly plugging in. You know, some SSDs, some older. You know, like the big desktop drives kind of thing. And I've I've kind of consolidated everything, and I'm I'm working on doing a better, you know, RAID setup. How do you have all your stuff set up? Uh, so our process is uh, every shoot, two drives, one spinner drive, one solid state drive. Uh, drives split up after a shoot, go with different people to different locations. Mm-hmm. One drive goes to an editor, other drive goes to um, our RAID, and then everything gets backed up on the RAID. And we're currently building a system where we're going to have um, a RAID system here in New York that then automatically syncs to another system in Detroit. Um so it's our own little cloud storage, yeah. So that's that's what we're working on right now. And I've saved this question for last uh, simply because I don't know that you want to answer it or you want to be, you know, actually on radio talking about it. But I feel like in the automotive world, it's it's really tough to make money on a lot of the content that's out there. Yeah. And you've made money with Tangent Vector, and but how do you make money doing documentaries? You know, with doing actual dedicated, I mean, obviously they cost something. You have to raise money to make it. Raise money or save money. Um, so everything we've ever produced, we've, we've done with money we had in the bank. We make money doing this stuff um, like our client work. Mm-hmm. And then we save until the point we have enough to go make our, our next film. Um, to put things in context. Um, we had decided to start working on the next film this year. We had some good money saved up in the bank, but um, because of COVID, um, instead of laying off workers, uh, we made the decision to use the funds to keep everyone employed. So there won't be a movie anytime soon at this point because of COVID, but at least the team stays together. So, yeah. That's that's extremely kind of you. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, it really is. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I yeah. know how hard that is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, people keep their jobs that's more important yeah so, so we, we 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 do make money on the on the we do make money on the docs um but you have to you know it's it's a matter of we don't take loans out to go make those we don't go raise money for that we make them with our own money that's already in the bank um i, I like to live a very I'm actually a very so- socially liberal person. Mm-hmm. I'm a very socially liberal person, but I'm a very conservative person when it comes to financials. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't spend money. You don't you don't spend money. You don't have. We're a debt free company. Um, yeah. And how how often are you actually traveling? Like how how many days mm-hmm. or weeks are you actually home out of the year when you're not when so la- when there's no la- COVID? Last year, two hundred and nine days. Two hundred and nine days. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. It's mostly summer months. I'll be gone for you know May, June, July, and then um, basically December, January. I'm home. So basically, it's just really difficult to have a dog. Uh, is what you're saying? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That's the worst part of this whole thing. Yes. Do you have a cat or anything? You have anything no. to? So when no. you come home, the only warm thing is your laptop that you that you get to come <laughs> home to. 
I have the city. I have New York City. <laughs> I, look at, I, I look out and I look at a beautiful city. Not according to some people. Uh, you don't have New York City. Some people, you've only got New Jersey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I live in New Jersey so I can look at New York. <laughs> JF, thank you so much, seriously, for for Anytime. sitting down and hanging out with me and talking with me and uh, and yeah. taking time out of your schedule. I know you're again busy as shit, so uh, I really appreciate Not right it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. Yeah, no, I really do appreciate it. Um, thanks. Hey, that was very kind of you. I've, I've, I'm sorry we don't get to talk very much. Uh, I promise I'll be I'll be a more friendly person via email. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's we live. We all live busy lives. I get it. But you know, we see each other when we can. Yeah, I I, I need to start going to more events because I, I kind of stopped going. My wife's been yelling at me to get out of the house and actually go places. Um, and I'm like, drive up to New York, man. Once once all this uh, once all this COVID business calms down, come on up. I'd love to. I'd love to. The and city. The city needs. The city's about living life. And once it's safe too, we're all going to live it, you know, to the best ability we can. I can, you know, I will. cannot wait. Um, I'm supposed to have Alex on the show soon. We were talking last weekend, um, so I'm excited to have Alex on here and talk to him as well, chit chat. Good. Um, Good. So, JF, thank you so much, and Anytime. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you later, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Bye. All right, bye. JF is a really cool guy, isn't he? I mean, come on. Cool interview. Uh, has great stories. We'll have him back on another time to continue with some of his stories because he's kind of, it's kind of endless. You know, somebody like him who has been behind the camera, who has uh, kind of seen and done it all in a sense. And it's such a young age. And it's it's very, very cool. Very, very cool to see what he's uh, accomplished, to see where he's gone. I love it. I love absolutely love everything he does and uh, one thing you can definitely always know about this show about me hosting this is that when you come on here or when you listen somebody's going to get complimented whoever's on the other end of the line is getting their asses complimented because I love success I love people that have succeeded I love people that you know are able to do what they love do what they want and making great content, making great stuff for people to enjoy. And, and as a car person, as a, as a car nut, um, being able to, to you know, just be in the room with those people and, and talk to them and, get, and know them, get, get to know them over the years is great because it is an endless supply of um, just absolute inspiration and even aspirations. So... Sorry, I got a little nerdy there at the end with the camera stuff. But JF is one of the few people that will be on this show that I can really talk to about camera gear and, and you know, those gizmos and gadgets. Because I have an obsession, uh, I'm obsessing. <laughs> I have an obsession with camera gear as well as for cars. And I think they go hand in hand. You know, they're very important to one another. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm, again, I'm looking forward to you hearing who I've got coming up next week. Um, so stay tuned. Remember, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every morning when you wake up, throw some freeze-dried Folgers in your cup and listen to the Raw Otters podcast. And with that, I am out of here. Always remember, wash your hands, stay home if you can, and happy motoring.